then when the source of that money dries up, really, we don't know where to turn. We haven't had revenue since April of last year. So it's almost a year. It's a year, really. Welcome to Truth Behind Travel Podcast, the world's first podcast dedicated to travel recovery. I'm Dolores Semeraro, and I'm on a mission to help tourism organizations and travel professionals to lead a business that restores confidence in travel. If you're looking for a travel podcast that gives you more than just wanderlust and will help you travel better tomorrow, you've found the right one. Every week, my travel and tourism industry guests will share with you their stories and insights to help you travel smarter, better, and more conscious of the impact you have when you travel. Subscribe to the show to receive a new episode every Thursday straight to your inbox, together with travel tips and best practices of my podcast guests. Hello, hello, and welcome to Truth Behind Travel Podcast. This is episode 25, and today I'm very excited to bring you a very special guest. If you have been following the past interviews on the podcast, you might have noticed a common subject recently, and that is the one to shine a light on those champions of change who are working behind the scene to protect our planet. The planet we all enjoy exploring when we travel, right? So today, I'm taking you with me to the Seychelles in the Indian Ocean, where I'm talking to Dr. Nirmal Shah, the Chief Executive Officer of Nature Seychelles. Nature Seychelles is a leading environmental organization in the Western Indian Ocean. It is the largest and oldest environmental NGO in the Seychelles archipelago. Nirmal was able to keep the conservation programs going despite not receiving any more funds due to the halt of the tourism during the pandemic. He tells us what really happens when the cash flow stops, who is really affected, and how we can be of help when we travel again. Welcome back to the show and welcome, Nirmal, connecting from the Seychelles. Hi, how are you? Nice to be with you. Thank you. I'm well, and thank you for joining the podcast today. I have heard a lot about you, and uh, you come highly recommended. And I'm very, very excited to share a bit of the work that you do with our podcast listeners. The purpose of this podcast has always been to shine a light on what travel recovery really means and what is really the truth behind our travel experiences today. That's why it's called Truth Behind Travel. We love it. Before we get started with the questions of today, which are not easy, I have to admit, but I'm sure you'll, you'll do justice and you'll, you'll give all your feedback and all your insight about it. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do from the Seychelles all across the Western Indian Ocean region. Okay, um, uh, thanks again for having me here. I'm uh, Dr. Nirmal Shah. I'm a Seychelles. I was born, brought up in the Seychelles. My father, who was a very successful businessman, was also one of the um, leaders and um, uh, 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 early conservationists here in the Seychelles back in the 50s and 60s. So he inspired me a lot. Um, I, uh, I've worked in many areas, in many fields in the environment. I mean, it's... It's a bit crazy. If you look at my CV, I've done things in, you know, um, waste management, conservation, coral reef restoration. We've saved for the last 15 years, I've been leading programs to save uh, very rare birds. 
um, uh, we manage here at the uh, the organization that I manage at the moment. I've been managing Nature Seychelles, which is a large NGO. One of the things we do is that we run uh, uh, the flagship protected area uh, called Tuzin Island Special Reserve. This is one of the oldest special reserves or protected areas in the Western Indian Ocean. It's been protected for more than 50 years. It's both land and sea. Very exciting. But what's exciting as well about it is that it's not just the biodiversity. The biodiversity is really amazing. We've got hundreds of turtles, giant tortoises, endemic birds, thousands of seabirds. But it's also, we have the longest running ecotourism program in Seychelles. So you, as a visitor, can come to the Seychelles, visit us, and experience the biodiversity or the wildlife of Seychelles as it was probably before people came to the Seychelles. I'm uh, one of the programs we're running at the moment is the world's largest coral reef restoration program. That's also very exciting. We just got some new money for that. And we have, of course, um, a lot of education and awareness as well. It's quite exciting place to be. And you do sound very passionate about it. I think all these projects, uh, when it comes to um, collaborating with third-party operators to to support you, you know, to support that this common vision of really restoring, protecting, and safeguarding the the biodiversity of not only of the Seychelles but of many areas around it, it gives a lot of motivations and it's very. It's very exciting even just to to listen to you. I think there's a lot of projects that uh, Nature Seychelles is um, overlooking at the moment, as I see from the website. And that really shows how when we are committed to protecting the environment and really treasure the place where we operate as a tourism operator, where we, where we want tourism to come back, uh, we can be successful if we have the right support and if we have the right resources. But when these resources are not there anymore, when the tourism cash flow stops coming through as a result of the pandemic, for example, over the last few months, what are the consequences? Yeah, you see, um, one of the great successes of Seychelles and in fact of many places in Africa has been that conservation has actually paid for itself. Um, we do get very large donor-funded projects from the, the Global Environment Facility, the World Bank, and so forth. But actually, our recurrent budgets, um, salaries for the staff and you know um, vehicles, buildings, and so forth, those are paid for by tourism because a huge success story has been that Africa in general, the Seychelles, for example, um, has managed to have this perfect marriage between tourism and conservation. And if you take a place like Cousin Island Special Reserve, which is this reserve that um, we manage, uh, ecotourism started there in 1972, um, a very long time ago, even before the international airport was, was, was built here. And this ecotourism is the channel for funds so we get international tourists who pay for the privilege of coming to this amazing place. And the funds are used to conserve it for the long term, not only for the tourists, but also for the local people, for generations and generations of Seychelles. And this is 
I think a successful model that has been used, let us say in Kenya, in Tanzania, even in, 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 in some parts of, of West Africa and so forth. But now, as we all know, with the pandemic, tourism has collapsed. And uh, a lot of these institutions that manage these amazing places, these incredible landscapes, incredible repositories of wildlife, are suffering. They don't have those funds anymore. And it's not just non-governmental organizations like Nature Seychelles, but it's also large national protected um, areas institutions or national parks um, institutions, because they've also tied themselves tourism. So governments have always said, this is an amazing success. These institutions do not need taxpayers' money, they're raising their own money, which is amazing, uh, a fantastic feat. But then when the source of that money dries up, really, we don't know where to turn. So on, 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 on Cousin Island Special Reserve, we haven't had revenue since April of last year. So it's almost a year, it's a year really, since we haven't had any revenues at all. This is the case in, in many parts of Africa. So... We, we already can see that uh, the quality and the effectiveness of conservation has suffered a lot. There's been more poaching. We've lost a lot of skilled staff. A lot of, uh, of these places are not being maintained. They're not being monitored. They're not being researched properly. So yes, it, it's, it, it's a problem when you have this sort of symbiotic relationship between tourism and conservation. Um, uh, so the success story turns into a failure. And I think that what uh, we found is that we've tried to turn to our governments, okay? So Nature Seychelles, for example, has turned to the government for assistance. We've never um, got public money before, although we're running a legally protected uh, marine and terrestrial area. But we see that governments themselves are struggling. So many governments are struggling. In, in, in my country, the main pillar of the economy has been tourism. So now with the crash of tourism, the economy has really collapsed. So government had to support basically the entire economy for the last year. So it was paying the salaries of almost everyone in this country, okay, since, since, uh, since June last year. So what do we do? We're trying to open tourism. We're trying to do various things. We're trying to get emergency funds, but it's not easy when your economy is built around largely, you know, um, uh, tourism and uh, fisheries, for example. And the Seychelles has been fairly open in regards to continuously welcoming tourism into the country and has recently announced that as of the 25th of March, Seychelles is open to the world. And whether you have a, had a vaccination or not, Seychelles welcomes everybody, uh, regardless of the country of origin, given that you present a negative PCR test. So do you think that that revenue stream will come back? Yeah. So what we've, what we see is that, yes, it's amazing that we've been, it's fantastic that we've been able to, to start to open. Um, Cousin Island Special Reserve is also ready to open. We've got all our certificates, all our staff have been vaccinated. Um, so we are ready to go. Uh, we expect that at least 70% of the adult population would have been would have received both doses of vaccines 
by the end of March or early April. So um, we are protecting ourselves as well. So Seychelles is ahead of all countries per capita. So it's, 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 it's really doing a very good job with vaccines. The issue is not us. The issue is the rest of the world because our main market, which is Europe, <clears throat> is not ready yet because the Seychelles has been built around a European style market. And over the last several years, we've been trying to attract other um, uh, tourists. So recently, we've been very successful in getting the Israelis because the Israelis, of course, um, also are very, are very much ahead in, with, uh, uh, with their vaccination program. So they're allowing their citizens to travel. We've had um, uh, very high value clients from the UAE. And, and uh, um, uh, they, they, I mean, when they come, they book several hotels at the same time. So we've been very lucky in that. Now we we see that Aeroflot is for the first time in many, many years flying again to the Seychelles. So they see a market already. But what we find in conservation is that many of these kinds of tourists do not necessarily go and visit the national parks or nature reserves like Kuzan Island Special Reserve. That's also a challenge because uh, um, uh, what we see now as well is that a lot of the tourists who are coming here at this point in time are sort of nervous about traveling too much around the Seychelles. So they'll stay in their hotel and have a good time. They, and we might not see them traveling as much as, you know, they used to uh, back in back before the pandemic. And has this tourism volume, it's not there yet and it, it it hasn't been there for quite a while. So obviously there has been an impact in the, in the, the way the, the operations and also the finances of the NGOs have been, you know, had to carry on. So with that, it's the same faith, unfortunately, of many conservation programs around the world. I mostly see, probably because of the proximity and I'm more in touch about conservation programs that are suffering in southern, uh, southern West African countries, for example, or when it comes to marine uh, protection across the Indian Ocean. So throughout the Maldives, Mauritius, uh, heavily affected uh, over the last few months as well. And I, I wonder, when we look at all these programs, is there any type of conservation programs that has been more affected than the other, or have they all equally been affected? And what can we do as travelers when we make our travel choices to support them? For travelers who want to come to this region, um, Eastern, and West, uh, Eastern and Southern Africa and the Western Indian Ocean, I would say that we really want you to come back. We need you to come back because we want you to support our programs, which are actually programs for the world. These are the, these are the heritage for everyone, for the entire world. And we like to sh showcase our work. We like to showcase our biodiversity. The Seychelles has incredible endemic birds from nowhere else. We have some of the largest nesting areas for seabirds, um, Kuzan Island Special Reserve has the largest nesting area for hawksbill marine turtles in the whole of the Western Indian Ocean. So if you're lucky to come during the nesting season, which starts in around uh, September and lasts till around February, 
I will guarantee that you will see a nesting turtle on Kuzi Island Special Reserve. So we have some amazing things to showcase here, here in the Seychelles, apart from the spectacular beauty and landscape. And our people are ready to um, uh, uh, welcome visitors again. And I think the choices that the discerning traveler has to make is where does my dollar go? So in a place like the Seychelles, for sure your dollar will go to actually supporting the entire economy of Seychelles. And despite what people say, that you can go to a five-star hotel and you know most of your uh, money does not stay in the country, I can tell you one thing that the biggest success stories that we have had in the Seychelles has been in collaboration with five-star hotels and some of the luxury islands because we've been able to restore entire islands and save critically endangered birds with these five-star hotels. And they pumped more money into these programs to support the conservation as we have pulled out. We've done our work, we pulled out and they continue it. So I can tell you that tourists who come to the Seychelles are actually supporting conservation in one way or another but also supporting the local economy because here in Seychelles, everybody is tied to tourism in one way or another, whether it's the shop, you know, my family shop that has been there for 125 years in the, in the historical area of Market Street um, uh, or uh, yacht charters or hotels, everybody is tied to tourism and you are actually helping the local people. It's it's quite interesting that you mentioned that the biggest support comes from having key partners in hospitality. So five-star uh, hotels and five-star organ- hospitality organizations that are supporting with considerable uh, amount of donations the, the work that you do. When it comes to tourists, you have observed those tourists that are more engaged and more interested and more keen to to play a part in this in this big game of you know the big scheme of conservation which is not an easy one it's a very complex scheme i can't help but wonder do you think there is a specific type of tourist that is more keen to be involved and to help and versus for example you know we have uh, the couples the honeymooners the families um the independent travelers the solo travelers who do you think is more engaged well i think in the seychelles which is a pretty unique destination um uh, you get a lot of these type of environmentally knowledgeable and environmentally friendly travelers. It's a small market, as you know. Um, We don't want too many tourists. We usually get about 300 tourists, 300,000 tourists a year. That's a very small amount compared to, let us say, Mauritius, which I believe gets almost a million. The, The travelers who come here are already very discerning travelers. It's a long haul destination. It's mostly very expensive. And people are coming here because of the Seychelles brand. The Seychelles brand is environment, sun, sea, sand, but also local people, local culture, safety, um, uh, political stability, you know, no tropical diseases. 
So it's that kind of destination. So you, we are attracting a very high level of tourists. We, we are attracting what people call odd-gam tourism. So these people already have an idea of what they want to do here. So it's not either raw. They could spend two days on the beach, then come and visit Kuzan Island Special Reserve, or go and um, uh, have lunch at the Curious Marine National Park, or go on a glass bottom boat in the St. Anne Marine Park, so, or, 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 or go and visit the botanical gardens, for example. So by doing all that, they are supporting conservation. So it's, it's here in the Seychelles, I don't see too many travelers that we can put in these nice little uh, pigeonholes that this is a, you know, this travel is not interested in the environment. At some point, many of them would, you know, visit a national park or a protected area or something like that. Let's say I come back to the Seychelles and before organizing my trip, I want to be told what are the things that I can do during my holiday to support the environment and to support the biodiversity of the island. What shall I do? What, what can I do as a traveler? As a traveler, as you said, um, the Seychelles is not just a sun, sea and sand destination. It's very much uh, an environmental destination because we've had, we have very strong environmental policy. We've banned plastic, for example, plastic straws, you know, all those kinds of things. We have very strong um, pollution control laws. Of course, our conservation is, is just, uh, you know, second to none. But you as a traveler, you're making the first choice is I want to go to the Seychelles because it's one of the most beautiful islands in the world. It's one of the best preserved islands in the world. And I will get a good welcome when I come. So that's your first choice. The second choice is when you come, you try and support local initiatives. So um, not just conservation, but other initiatives. There might be, you know, um, uh, uh, local shops, you know, go, 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 um, go to the local shops, buy local vegetables, buy local fruit, go to the market. You know, um, if you are living in a self-catering uh, establishment, go to, the, go to some of the local markets, buy the local fish. Uh, the fish of Seychelles is one of the best in the world. I can guarantee that, you know, there's very little pollution in the sea. So, those are some of the things you can do by just mingling with local people because Seychelles are very friendly. And this is the difference between the Seychelles and the Maldives. Here, the moment you come, you get into contact with local people. A lot of our hotels are manned by foreign staff because we don't have enough Seychelles. It's a very small population. But you will definitely come into contact with local people. Your, your bus driver, your taxi driver that takes you from the, from, uh, the airport to your hotel. Um, if you, I, and I encourage people to go to the, uh, the guest houses, go and stay in guest houses, because those are all run by local families, by local, by, uh, by local people. And then travel around the islands. Again, different from the Maldives, different from Mauritius where you can travel along these islands, whether it's the inner granitic islands, as we say, Mahe, Prale, Ladig, um, uh, beautiful islands, all have different characteristics. Travel between these islands, you can stay in amazing places. Go to Prale, from Prale, you can go and visit Cousin Island Special Reserve, you can go to Curious Marine National Park, 
and have lunch there. Um, uh, you can travel to La Digue, which is another sort of uh, quite quite a different world. Spectacular beaches, spectacular landscapes, very friendly people. So those are the, and then of course you can go to the outer islands, the flat coral islands, similar to the Maldives, uh, where you know that's a different experience. Most of them are luxury hotels, very beautiful. Uh, uh, you, as you say, you'll have a pampered kind of uh, holiday, but that's the Seychelles. And I think that by just coming here and uh, uh, doing whatever you want to do, you you're supporting the local economy. It's for sure, because now we see without tourism, there's virtually no economy. So it's obviously based on, 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 on tourism. Even the fishermen are complaining. Um, uh, the local farmers are complaining. There's not enough business. You know, um, even the conservationists like myself are jumping up and down and uh, saying, please come back, tourists. Uh, please come back, visitors. And which is unusual, because if you look at my contemporaries or my or my colleagues elsewhere who are saying we don't want tourism we don't want air travel because air travel contributes to climate change so here in the seashells we're a bit different in that we are saying well maybe it it contributes to climate change but it's not a huge contributor it, it contributes 3% air travel contributes 3% to co2 emissions which is significant um but i just posted something on social media yesterday, which shows that the fashion industry produces 10% of CO2 gases. So we should be actually, you know, boycotting the fashion industry rather than tourism, because tourism, as you well know, and I think many of the listeners will know, um, is a mainstay of many economies in the developing world. I'd say that your um, take on the fashion industry finds me quite in agreement in a way. Not on, not on the boycott part. <laughs> Let's not get to that. <laughs> but, but indeed on the impact, the social and environmental impact yeah. of, uh, the, of, the, of the fashion industry over the environment, of course, and over us also as an individual on our mental health. Tell me, which organization around the world or uh, nearby you has given you uh, the, the best support over the past uh, few difficult months? Well, in the past difficult months, we've had a lot of help from the government. Mm -hmm. So the government has actually provided uh, money for our salaries, so which was very important. So we don't lose our skills, local staff. We we um, uh, we don't lose talent, and we can keep people doing this essential service and essential work. So the government has been very helpful. We've been able to get emergency funding from IUCN through this uh, sort of uh, entity called Biopharma. So Biopharma um, uh, put, put out a call for proposals for emergency funding to, pro to provide to uh, these protected areas in all ACP countries, African, Caribbean, and Pacific countries, which had been, which, which, which were suffering from, uh, uh, from COVID-19 uh, impacts. So we got some money from that, and that's paying some of our staff. So that's been very helpful. But actually, few, very little help other than that, because donors are very much structured towards projects. 
And uh, this is a this is a problem because we may get millions of dollars from donors, but these that million those millions of dollars do not support what we call recurrent budgets. It doesn't support people's salaries. It doesn't it doesn't support utilities. Doesn't support all my communications, my internet, and so forth. You know. Um, Petrol for the boats that patrol um, uh, the marine reserves, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So those donors do not do not fund, and those are essential services that we must continue to maintain these amazing ecosystems so that they can provide the ecosystem services that they that they give us, like fisheries protection, coastal protection, ecotourism. Um, uh, you know, uh, and so forth. So that's what we are missing. And donors are just not geared up for that. How many people are part of your team at Nature, Nature okay. Seychelles? So, so Nature Seychelles employs 23 people. We have three sites that we are based on here on Mahe, um, on Prale, where we have uh, the Center for um, uh, Coral Restoration, and on Cousin Island Special Reserve, where we have... Um, Almost half of our team are on Cousin Island Special Reserve because it's a very important reserve in our flagship program. So, yeah, we have about 23 people in all. And that grows when we get larger projects. And during the past few months of uh, obviously no revenue, as you mentioned before, coming in, yes. how did the team react? Like, despite the difficulties, uh, were they yeah. still engaged? Did the local community step in and say, we want to help, even though there is yes. no international tourism coming in? Sure. Well, the local community could not step in because the local community were having the same problems as us. It doesn't really work because everybody's so dependent on tourism. So as the economy has faltered, the economy is really in bad shape in the Seychelles, very, very bad shape. So the local communities and the local businesses are actually struggling as much as we are. Um, uh, they're all handcuffed. They're struggling as much as we are. So there's nobody can help anybody. And uh, one of the problems, the other problems is that because of the lack of international flights, the, the usual volunteers that we used to get from Europe, we used to get a lot of volunteers have not been able to come to help us. So that's been another issue that during turtle um, nesting season, for example, where we used to get European volunteers, we have not been able to get these people and we haven't had money to hire more staff. So our monitoring program has suffered. But uh, uh, really uh, the staff have been very good. They've been very resilient. We've lost a few staff simply because we couldn't pay them. So a few staff, have left. Some of the staff have voluntarily um, taken a pay cut temporarily for a few months, but we've been uh, we've been able to to um, to keep going because we established a trust fund some time ago where we had we have money, you know, for a for a limited amount of time to keep going. And I think that's the lesson also for for a lot of conservation organizations. We never anticipated COVID nineteen. We never anticipated that it will last for so long. So um, uh, we're really in dire financial trouble here. I wanted to, in fact, just, you know, wrap it up with this fantastic conversation and have your views on what have you personally learned out of this very, very, very 
unprecedented time. One of the things I've learned is that people are much more resilient than we think. So that's one thing that has been very positive. That um, myself, I'm a very optimistic person because I believe in good news conservation. Uh, secondly, I feel that more and more people understand the value of nature. More and more people have understood the value of nature. This is something that was unexpected, but it's the unexpected consequence of the pandemic. People now understand all over the world what happens when you have a destructive relationship with nature, because we know that COVID nineteen started because of this bad, terrible, crazy relationship that people have with nature eating wild animals, trading in wild animals. Um, and this is the consequence. This is what happens when you intrude upon people's habitats, you destroy, not people, but wildlife's habitats, you intrude upon natural ecosystems, you destroy forests, you destroy marine, marine life. There's a feedback mechanism. It's a boomerang effect. You, we will feel it. And this is how, what, what we, what, what we felt. And, uh, so that's one thing that we've learned that people now understand that we must have a different and more healthy relationship with nature. Definitely. I love that. And I think that's perhaps a, a teaching that goes a long way and it will stay with us. And, and hopefully with the, the, the support and the help of organizations like yours and many others organizations um, that, that, you know, look after conservation programs around the world will then help travelers to travel in a more responsible way, in a more conscious way. And that is very much the mission of this podcast as well, to really shine a light on those, those people that I call uh, agents of change and a good change, you know, good change on our planet, on uh, on ourselves as humans and uh, in our future. So absolutely. Thank you very much for taking the time to Thank you. connecting with me today. It, it was a fantastic conversation. I personally learned a few things of, of the Seychelles that I didn't know when I visited in 2018. Again, because this type of information should really go along with the destination promotion. When you look at, I yes. want to go to the Seychelles or anywhere else really in the world. You mentioned Tanzania, you mentioned Kenya. We must yeah. be aware that there are these programs and there is a way of supporting it. And the work that you do is remarkable. So thank you very much. Good luck and all the best. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity and thanks a lot. Well, if this wasn't a passionate ending, then I don't know what a passionate ending is. Nirmal's dedication and vision, as well as his clarity and drive, are inspirational. And most importantly, it makes us think of how a simple choice when we travel can have a huge impact on the place we want to go to. Thank you for being here with me today. I will see you all next week, same day, same time. But before you go, head over to the show notes and grab the link to review the show on Apple Podcast. Let me know what you think. Thank you and see you soon.